Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran. You are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, we're going to take a hit today at problems in the workplace. We all go to work 9 to 5, 9 to 7, 9 to midnight, whatever you're working. But if you think it's problem-free, you're wrong. And I know because so many people write in about problems in the workplace. We're going to talk to someone running their whole business for years on credit cards and owing the government money at year-end. Ugly scene, but how do you straighten that one out? There's a way. We're also going to take a hit at the passive-aggressive fellow worker who's got it out for you and you're letting him get away with it. What do you do with a creep like that? Tune in. I'm going to give you the answers. Hi, Barbara. My name is Danielle. I am calling from Tampa, Florida. And my question is, how can I have balance in creating and paying myself and my husband in our landscaping business? I find that it's hard to actually have a payroll for ourselves. So then we're constantly using the business account for personal reasons, but we do need to claim wages at the end of the year because we have an S-Corp and we do have to pay out X amount of money for tax law. And I just find it troubling to find a system that works. Any information you can give me or advice is greatly appreciated. Thanks. Bye. Danielle, here's what I learned within the first two years of running my own business. I had myself, then I had an assistant working with me in my office, and I paid the assistant every single week. She had to pay her rent. Hey, I did too, but I didn't worry so much about me. I paid her. Then I had two people, four people, eight people, 15 people within, say, the first two years of business, and everybody got paid because I was a boss and they were working for me and they needed to get paid. And I would take the scraps that were left over. The problem I ran into is in taking little scraps to just make ends meet with this bill, that bill, and very much living on a shoestring (laughs) with no frills whatsoever. I found that I would just nip a little here, nip a little there just to get through. And by year end when tax time came, boy, was it a killer. I found that every dollar I took, really, that I spent on the little things just to feed and clothe myself, was not really a dollar I could take. It was really 70 cents. And then I had to pay the 30 cents in taxes a year, in which I didn't have. And on and on it went. Until I realized the number one rule about all payroll and all businesses, the boss gets paid first. If you can't afford to hire the receptionist after you pay yourself first, you don't hire any receptionist. You figure a way to do it without them. I could have done that, but I knew I needed help in expanding the business, so I put my money down on getting a person to help. But if I had to pay myself first, I wouldn't have had that money, and that would have been the more intelligent move to wait until I had the money to pay them. It's kind of like living on credit, but spending it on individuals. So what you need to do is you need to put your foot down on yourself or on your husband, or he puts his foot down on you, you put your foot down on each other and make a rule 
that you get paid first, you don't spend money you don't have. And if you have to edit your standard of living to be in line with that, so you're having spaghetti and meatballs out of a can every night, by God, do it. You got to get your house in order. And if you don't have the will or the self-willpower to do it consistently to make that change, you need to make it somebody else's job, like your accountant. Just have the accountant write the check. Let the accountant not let you charge. Let somebody else be the bad guy in your life until you have your house in order. But you can continue what you're doing. One of the great things about building your own business, even if you decide to keep it a business of just two, is that you get the extreme satisfaction of a job well done. That's your reward by way of being paid. So look what you're doing. You're getting no joy of satisfaction of being paid because you're really borrowing from yourself to pay yourself. And then you know you have the headache at year end of the big kahuna coming, going to whack you between the eyes, which is called the tax man. Not a fun thing. And it's hurting your business more than you think. It's got to take away from your energy in making your business very successful. So got to get your house in order. Do it right away. You've got to be paid first. You got to do that no matter how small your business is. And if you can't put restrictions on yourself and how you're taking money out, let the next guy like the accountant or a nasty uncle or maybe your mother even go back to her, whoever's going to help you do it for you. But you got to straighten out your house. I got a call from a woman, most interesting question. She started off asking about two jobs she got fired from. I hadn't heard this before, but she said in each instance, her boss simply sat her down and said, I'm firing you because you just don't fit in our culture. I had never heard that. I've hired and fired people my whole life. I've never said to someone, you don't fit in with our culture. So out of curiosity, I called her and boy, what a chat we have. She has a successful business now. She should be writing notes of thanks to these guys that fired her. And she took the one talent she knew best and she's parlaying it into a huge success for herself. Listen in. I learned more from her than she could ever learn from me. So you had an interesting question. It kind of took a twist and a turn. Why don't you ask it again for me? Yeah. So I asked a while ago about office politics, but I think what I really wanted to ask about was more like office culture, because I recently launched my own company because I just felt like certain companies I worked for, they told me I wasn't a cultural fit, even though I was a really wow. good producer. Let me pause you on that. Would you say that when you said a cultural fit, did they ever put any flesh on those bones? What does exactly that mean when they said that? And you heard it more than once, I take it. No, I heard it only once, but I suspected it with other companies because two reasons. One is I'm a lead generator, like a sales development rep, and mm -hmm. I negotiated with companies to be able to work from home for a couple reasons. One of them being that when you're doing cold calling, you need to have like a quiet place and I just do better working from home. I usually don't like to get involved with office politics or anything like that. Mm. But I also had a chronic pain condition that kind of made things a little difficult. And I'm okay with it now. I'm on medication. But a few years ago, I was like, I don't even think I can have the energy to like be in an office every day. And so I made that decision. Some companies were okay with that. But then like later on, they're like, oh, you know, we'd really want you to be in the office. And we're trying to create a team atmosphere here. There was some change management and I think they just wanted like more bodies in the office. So that was one company, another company. I was an independent contractor. Uh, just curious. Let me stop you on that first company. Did they have other people that were working from home or were you the only one? I was the only one, okay. but I went in there and I negotiated that. Yeah. Okay. You must've been a very powerful sales generator to be able to do that. Oh, thank you. I, I have a good reputation for sure. Good. You sound like you'd do well in anything. Oh gosh. Thank you. You're culturally fitting me right now. I just want you to know. 
Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So um, on to the second one. Yeah. So the second company, they hired me and they said, oh, we believe in hiring people smarter than us. This is a safe place. We want you to take risks, you know, bring ideas to the table, so on and so forth. So I had, you know, brought some ideas to the table. I didn't really think I was being listened to. A few months after they enacted some ideas that company was a little interesting because I actually came down with pneumonia and it really affected my performance. But my boss was kind of on my side. I think the CEO had some concerns and my boss said to me, you know, we just don't really think you're a good fit for the company. And I kind of was like, you know, befuddled. And I was just like, why? Like, I didn't have any issues getting along with other people. I brought a lot of good ideas to the table. I trained a new guy who ended up replacing me. So you know, after those two companies, I just said, forget it. I'm just going to start my own company because I think that I've been told that, you know, I'm creative. I'm a forward thinker. I have a background in psychology, so I'm not afraid to bring ideas to the table or speak up in a group think situation. And I feel like a lot of these companies kind of manipulated a situation where they said, you know, we want people who are forward thinkers, but in actuality, they want yes men. Mm. So that's why I'm like, what is it with like culture? People say, oh, we want you to be a good cultural fit. And it's like, I don't have any issues playing, you know, in the sandbox with other people. I don't have any issues taking direction. I just feel like because of my choice being able to work from home and my wanting to speak up and bring very well-researched ideas to the table, that's kind of seen as a threat to the organization, even though you're not, you know, being defiant per se. Mm, okay. And with that second company, how long did you have pneumonia? I'm curious. I had it for three months. And three I months after being there, how long? I was there for four months. So what mm. happened is I went through a three-month training period. I found out I had pneumonia about a week after I started. They paid you through that, I assume, right? Yes. During that training period, I wasn't supposed to be prospecting, but I convinced them we should be because this was in January and, you know, that's when everybody's starting their budgets and whatnot. So I did reach out to some people and then in March, I just had a really bad month. I didn't really meet quota because I was just, you know, exhausted. I was training the, the new person. I had a personal matter come up, a family emergency come up. Despite all of this, I got an RFP from the largest pharmaceutical company in the world. And we had the conversation because I have a history of bringing elephants to the table versus a lot of squirrels. Mm. So I said, you know, do you value more quality than quantity? And they said, yeah. Then they said, you know, we just honestly don't think you're a good fit for the company. But with having pneumonia and everything, I think that might have contributed to it as well. Okay. Well, I'd love to know more about what you're doing right now with your own business. But before I do, I want to just cast a different light on your last two experiences, because I hear also in you not enough closure on it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh -huh, that's, yeah, yeah, it's annoying. It's like uh, I've been fired from a couple of jobs and not told the real reason why. And, you know, they still bother me. Why should I even give a damn? I was in my 20s and when I was 17, I'm still bugged by the fact that, A, I was rejected. That's hard no matter who you are, no matter how confident you are at any juncture in your life. Sure. No one likes rejection. But on top of that, I couldn't stand the fact that I really didn't know I was fired. They never said, you're not a fit. It's just we don't have a need to, but whatever it was, was Big. And so right. I felt like I never had closure. That bugs me. I'm going to suggest why I would have fired you in both of those positions, and I would have, despite the uh -huh. fact you would have been a great rainmaker 
producing. It was because you were producing on your own terms, okay? And that's a problem in a lot of cultures. And I'm the most open-minded boss you'll ever meet the side of the Mississippi because my attitude always, if somebody's getting their work done, I don't care how they do it. As long uh-huh. as they get it done, I have no vacation schedule in my business right now. I don't care. You know, we have Fridays at home. If they do or they don't, whatever, whatever. But here's the thing. I need to build a team. And for that, if I had one man out and everybody else are doing one pattern and yet one other guy is doing a different pattern, that's a problem for my organizational structure and for the teammanship. So I would have had an issue with that, number one. Secondly, if I had anybody out for illness for duration, especially in a small business, that's a problem. Yeah. You can't help getting sick. You can't help having family emergencies. You can't help have, having pneumonia, chronic back problems. You can't help any of those hardships, but it becomes a hardship of the business unit itself. And that's a problem. Okay. I understand. All right. So I believe that if you could get an honesty or truth teller test by both bosses that let you go in those last two positions, despite the fact that you were producing, maybe even producing more than some of the other people there, is the fact that you had to walk to your own beat working at home and you had big breaks where they were paying you when you were ill. That's a uh-huh. problem for a business. And I would suggest that's really what happened there. But right. you should sit down and write them both a thank you note, because if not for that, you wouldn't be in business for yourself today. Exactly. Congratulations. Exactly. Thank you. What's thank the you. name of your business? It's called Door Knocker Marketing. So I do great, sales. And great business. name. Thank you. Thank you. I do sales and business development for small and medium-sized businesses. And what do you exactly do? For, give me an example. Who's your best client? You don't have to use the name. And what do you do for them? I need to get my handle on the business. So one client is a, a law staffing company, and I've booked them many appointments to sell their software. I have another client that is a, a clothing company, so I'm trying to get them into boutiques, trying to get them written up in magazines and press. So basically anything, you know, knocking on doors and kind of making connections and, and selling their product or services. So basically you're a sales and PR arm for a small business. Yeah. And you don't give a darn what kind of business it's in. You think sales is sales, PR is PR, and you figure a way to get them there, right? Yeah. My philosophy is human nature is the same across the board. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And do you call on people that you had from previous employment or you start anew with each new type of client because they're all in different spaces? You start all over again, but you apply the same things you've learned from other industries? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of my big picture theory is write emails that are kind of short, sweet, personalized to the point, you know, follow up on people multiple times, ask open-ended questions. I think really those are the same principles that can apply whether your product is in law or in apparel or other business services. I think as long as you just keep doing that and really just I'm trying to understand people Mm. that that's my theory. I really love learning about people. I love learning about personality types. I have a background in psychology. And so that's why I like sales and business development. Victoria, let me ask you, how do you get paid? You're paid on a monthly retainer or you're paid on sale delivery? It depends on the company. I'm getting paid a couple ways right now. Some are hourly. Some are based on- Whether or not you produce, they'll give you an hourly wage, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. With the hourly, I get paid per appointment that I book plus Mm. a percentage of the commission that closes. I have another company because I'm doing more like business development. They're paying me a retainer. So those are really the two companies I'm focusing on now. I have other companies that are interested in working with me, but I'm trying to really figure out how to price myself. I think yes, that's the most one. difficult thing because I don't want to disappoint somebody and say, you know, pay me a retainer and then I can't book appointments for them for one reason. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like if I just charge per appointment, 
for the deal size, that could take a long time depending on the product and service. So I would think the latter would be a much easier way to get more clients to sell on that basis. I get paid when I make money for you. That's very appealing to any small business, right? If I don't make money for you, I don't get paid. Is that the arrangement you have with the first two clients or is it different than that? It's different than that because I got paid hourly, but I have been trying to decide kind of a pay per appointment scheme, trying to figure out how much that charges, right? Because I guess it would be based on their profit margin or how big the sale is, right? Because I can't say just give me $300 for each appointment I book for you because if a company's product is $500, they're not really going to make a lot of money, you know? So just trying to do the math and that has been interesting. Okay. So I don't know if you were calling for help on that aspect of it. Would you like a helping hand on that? Please, Barbara. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a little tricky because for me, I'd have to almost really be able to size up that entrepreneur in the business to see what their appetite is, you know, but you're in that seat so you can assess that. I would think you should have two different ways of figuring that. I like the idea of you charging per appointment. So if you charge, let's say to make it worth your while, you have to charge $300 an appointment. Decide you're going to charge $300, not worry that the guy's product is only $500, okay? Because you need $300 to book an appointment or it doesn't make sense. But for the guy who's going to sell a $500 priced product, I would assume he sells more than one product, right? So you might get an order for $500 or $100 or something like that. The person who had the $500 project, we kind of stopped talking because he only had one product that was $500. Oh, well, that's the wrong client for you. Exactly. That's why we stopped talking. So maybe what you need to do is figure out what client makes sense for you charging on a cost per appointment. Because the cost per appointment, I think, should be constant for you so that you know every time you walk into that appointment, you're making that many dollars. And also, it enables you to start making goals for yourself. Let's say you want to make $150,000 after year one, okay? That's not a lot of money for a top-notch salesperson in any industry, $150,000. So you at least have the ability to divide that by so many dollars an appointment. Let's say it's $300, $500 an appointment, and you know how many appointments you have to book to hit your own target. I think that's what you should be chasing, truly. And then Uh just find the clients. It's easy for me to say, and then just find the clients, but find the clients that fit your billet. That would make sense for you working that way. Because if you're going to try to custom make a different strategy of payment for each client, you'll never build a business. Right. Because you haven't developed a formula that works for you. And if it doesn't work for you in the end, it never really goes anywhere. You almost need a routine, you know, like a comedy routine, a sales routine. You need a routine and a big piece of that routine is the way you charge. So I think you have to have clients match your way of doing business versus you trying to wrap yourself around different mechanisms for different clients. I think you'll drive yourself crazy and wind up going back to work for someone else who will tell you yet again, you don't fit our culture, (laughs) which will be a heartbreaker. (laughs) It is. It is. Because I, you know, I do want to make everyone happy sometimes, you know? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Can't a, I can't be a people pleaser, but like I said, I agree with uh, everything you, you've said before. I think that's definitely been the biggest struggle right now because I was trying to adapt to every single client that came my way and try mm. to find a commission structure and it just drove me absolutely crazy. So yes, yes, yes. I totally see that. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. My friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. 
you know, the one other question I wanted to ask in regards to that is kind of screening clients that would be best for me, right? Because the one company I worked for where they said, you know, we want you to come into the office. Mm. I booked Barbara in nine months for them, 65 appointments. No way. Listen, 12 of them went to the proposal stage. I had 3.375 in the pipeline and the average deal size was 562,500. You've got to be kidding. Then why aren't you doing that? I'm digressing, but let me just say this really quick. Historically, I have always booked elephants, not squirrels. You said that. I know. That's good. That's what everybody wants, a juicy elephant. Yes, but the thing with the elephants is that they take longer to close. And so if a company is struggling, I booked 65 appointments for them in nine months. They went nine months without one sale. And I wasn't the only lead generator there. So they were hurting. So I think they wanted something with a short sales cycle to close. Mm. So I'm trying to learn from that experience and try to find people that really don't have a long sales cycle. Because if somebody tells me it's a hard product to sell if you want to make commission, you know, it's probably going to take six to nine months to close this deal. Do I work for them and, and kind of hold out and just get paid per appointment and then hope that the sales cycle is going to be shorter than six to nine months so I can get that juicy commission? Or now do I find people whose products and services have shorter sales cycles so I can continue to, you know, pay my bills and keep my lights on? Listen, I think you need both. I don't think either will harm you. They'll both help you. Um, But I do believe you should insist on a flat fee per appointment. That seems to be your gift. You're able to book appointments. Am I right? Much, much more easily than the next person. You have your confidence game playing out there. That's great intact. So yeah, I think it's a matter of finding the right clients that match once more, that match how you need to bill to make a successful business for yourself. Okay. Also, for the clients that you're hesitant about that have a very long sales cycle and you're thinking, oh, God, they can't afford to hang on there. Trust me, there are lots of clients who can afford to hang on there and are very happy to wait for the big elephant after eight months. Mm. You know, yeah, As long I- as you get paid as you're doing, as you're making the effort per appointment, per appointment, per appointment, then you're happy and they're happy to wait. You may just have been with too small a business with those kind of long sales cycle type clients and they couldn't afford to wait with you. You're right. Both of the businesses I worked for, the last company that I was sick for, they were only six salaried employees and myself. Uh, Everybody else was an independent contractor, so they couldn't afford to keep me on. I understand that. The last company, they were more of a global company, but I think that their product started at $100,000. So, you know, not everybody's going to shell out that money necessarily right away. So I think that they had some some struggles. And a lot of people told me that, you know, maybe you're just working for the wrong companies. Yeah, I think so. Let me conclude by saying one thing to you. Sure. Which is the most important thing. Listening to you, I have no doubt in my mind you could sell anything. Oh, thank you. Anything at all. And realize the power of that when you're even making, never mind booking the appointments, but calling on businesses to ask if you can help them reach their goals. And this is what I do. I sell. I get appointments. I mean, who would say no to you? Even in a cold call, I think you'd be powerful and persuasive enough on a cold call to convince people to sign up. So how many salespeople have that gift? It's very hard to find it. So why couldn't you work on your own terms out of your home and even be sick again if you want to? And God forbid, I don't want you to be. But, I'm healthy besides that. <laughs> yeah, good. So why can't you make things exactly as you want them to be? You really can. It's a matter of making more sales calls to get more clients that can work with you on your basis that works for you. Right. You know what I mean? I think the best thing that's ever happened to you is you didn't fit some other guy's culture twice. How lucky for you. 
<laughs> Too bad on them. And you know what? I wouldn't even hesitate to call them back and see if they want you to sales rep for them on a paid per appointment basis, maybe. Wouldn't that be funny? That would be funny, yeah. Well, the last person who contacted me that wanted my help I actually worked for them years ago. I know that that's a possibility. You know, people kind of boomerang back. So Yes, yes. It happens. The hardest person in the world to find is a great salesperson to yeah. help you with sales. And what's the most important thing in all business, the lifeblood of all business is sales. You've got the big kahuna, you know, you really do. Sales is so interesting because I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is, you know, and quota is, like I said, another thing, you know, you want to meet quota, but it spends more time getting the elephants. I just want to get your opinion, if you don't mind me asking, of your thoughts on quota, because you obviously have to make it. You obviously have to produce. But if somebody were to bring you elephants during that time, don't you think you would take that into consideration as well? Because those take longer to nurture. Again, when you're saying elephants, you're talking about a big sale to make up for the little sales that didn't come in regularly. That's what you mean, Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. Well, I don't know. I've never known a business where the big sale didn't count toward quota where you get into trouble there is if you don't make the big sale for a long time when you first get started. So they're going for three months where you're not meeting quota and you're knowing that I'm going to make quota when I hit month six, I'm going to get a big kahuna here, but they don't know it. They don't have your confidence. It's asking too much for the boss to share the confidence you have for yourself. So yes, that's a problem. People will not carry you in quota. I fired in my life, I probably fired 3,000 people, all salespeople. It was not a fun thing to do, but I tell you, I fired three out of four salespeople I hired because being exceptional in sales, which I needed to even stay alive, is a very difficult thing to do. Selling is so underrated, okay? What I'm saying from a boss's perspective, hiring dozens and dozens and dozens of people in any given month and training and pushing them. And yeah, they had to meet their quota. It wasn't a quota like a specific dollar amount. They had to meet their overhead or I was supporting them. I couldn't have that. I didn't have the money to do it. But I can tell you if they didn't produce right up front early, they may have produced the biggest deal in the world on the six months, but I never was around to see it. Neither was they. So yeah, so I think you have to feed them early with little stuff to make most bosses happy. But right. you know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have a boss. You have clients, which are even worse than bosses, more demanding. They are my bosses. Now. Yes, I they are. <laughs> they are. But you can write the terms you see, and you have the power to sell people uh, with the words that you use. That's obviously clear. I happen to think you're going to surprise yourself as to how far you're going to go. Simply built on your power to sell. Pretty remarkable. Thank you, Barbara. It's great to hear. I'm very excited. <laughs> I think you knew that about yourself anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and what the heck? Work out of home. Who gives a damn? It's the 21st century, you know? Yeah, I yeah, mean- yeah. But don't join somebody else's team because they're not going to like it. Right. Okay. I know. Stay well. (laughs) I I really like chatting with you. Congratulations. Thank you, Barbara. It was a pleasure as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, Barbara. This is Jillian in New York. My question is, how do you deal with a passive-aggressive workmate that constantly undermines you to get ahead? Thank you. Ah, this is an easy one, Jillian. Let me tell you how you call him out. You got a guy who's being passive aggressive and undermining you at work and you're bumbling along, smiling, really nice and tolerating and tolerating it. Let me tell you, he doesn't respect you and he's going to do more and more and more of it until you call him out. Now, you sound to me, Jillian, just by the way you phrased your question, like a lovely human being. So I think for you, you can't match a son of a bitch with a son of a bitch attitude. You've got to be very nice about it. 
So I would suggest you phrase it something like this. Hey, you bastard. I'm only kidding about that. You can call him by his name. Hey, Harry, you may not even realize you're doing this, but are you aware that you're taking full credit for my work that I just did? Or are you aware that blah, 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 blah? Let them know, you know, and you're onto it. Do not turn your back on it and ignore it. It's just fuel to his fire. I'm going to tell you an oddball story, but a true story that happened to me that wasn't in the workplace. It was at home, but it's got a great parallel lesson in it. I lived in a little apartment on a third story above a canopy that went into a building, and I had an air conditioner in the window. I saved for six months to get myself a little air conditioner. I was the happiest kid in New York City. And so my air conditioner had a condenser inside, so it drips water. You know, it takes the water out of the air like every air conditioner dripped on the sidewalk. But it just so happens my air conditioner dripped in front of the door of the psychiatrist who had a ground floor office right below my window. Drip, drip during the day. One night, I'm at home about seven at night, and I get the doorbell ringing and barging in my apartment comes this raving maniac, man, screaming so loud and so upset, I didn't even know what he was upset about. I couldn't even figure out what was going on. When I finally realized what he was upset about, he was upset because my air conditioner was dripping on his door. Well, I apologized profusely. My God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. I was the very nice person I always was and sent him on his way. Well, of course, what happened on the next hot day? The same situation. Well, by the third time he came, I decided to change my attitude and I decided to be him. So when he came to my door screaming at me, I opened the door without even listening. I screamed at his face, called him every name in the book, shouted, shouted, shouted him down out of my hallway. Guess what? I continued on my air conditioning. I never heard from that guy again. Bullies, guys that push, big mouth guys, passive aggressive people that steal your stuff and don't give you credit. They're all alike. They're unfair players. The only language they understand is their own language. So you've got to match him with what he is and stand up to the guy. Then it will end. That's all it is. Confront him, it's over, and you go on your merry way. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.